0: The day seems long Our trial's hard to bear We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair, but Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away, all tears When we see Christ One glimpse of His dear face All sorrow will erase So bravely run the race Till we see Christ Life's day will soon be over all storms forever past will cross the great divide to glory great at last. We'll share the joys of heaven. A harp, a home, a crown. The tempter will be banished. Trials will seem so small when we see Christ.
1: That's a good song, isn't it? What a great message, amen. Well, I'm glad you're here tonight. Take your Bible, turn over to the Book of Acts, Acts chapter nine, Acts chapter nine, beginning in verse one. We're going to look there, and again, we kind of began this particular uh, lesson in our series last week, and um, we'll see where we get along with it this week. And I'm hoping to finish part one today, and then begin part two when I get back. I'm going to be going on vacation for a little while, and looking forward to getting away and. So that's why I'll be at the meeting Thursday night, but I'm actually leaving Friday, and I'll be gone for a couple of weeks. And so I'm planning on getting away, and uh, it doesn't, no, it doesn't have anything to do with the trip, okay? It's something that's been planned for quite a few months now. Every May, I go away with my wife, and now it seems every once in a while, some of the kids can even get away with us, and that's always nice. And so we kind of go down, and uh, I run down to, uh, I'd tell you where, but I'm afraid you'd follow me. But anyway... uh, uh, I don't want to say because there's people watching around the world right now. Let's say I go out of town. Do you want to know where I'm going? See me after the service, but too bad, Internet. You're not going to get the satisfaction. Okay, so Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, all right? Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. What a great passage this is. We've been dealing with the secrets of successful living, and this particular lesson is on finding God's plan for our lives. Finding God's plan for our lives. And so here's Acts chapter 9, beginning verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a, a light from heaven. Can you imagine that? And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was there three days without sight. I think that's kind of interesting, and I don't have time to get into it, but it's interesting how he says, And he arose, Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But then in the next verse, and he was three days without sight that's kind of neat, isn't it? There's got to be a real spiritual truth there and one day maybe I'll preach on it when God gives it to me. But that's a good one right there, isn't it? Now those are the things that you that we kind of see along the way in our Bible reading, isn't it? You start to read a passage and you start to meditate on it and you see something like that and you go, "Man, I want to figure that out. How can that possibly be?" Now I guarantee you it's not nearly as complicated as it may appear here. It's really simple, I'm sure. I've already got some ideas hitting me already. But nonetheless, we just I can't get stuck on that. So let's move on. And he was three days without sight, and neither did he eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damas, Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And we're going to see that along the way, the Apostle Paul is going to receive uh, this man into his life, and he's going to help him and encourage him, and he's ultimately going to go and, We know his life be transformed and changed and he's going to make an impact in Christianity like none other. And here we are today as a result of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Amen. And that's a wonderful thing. But here in our particular passage, we're looking at this idea of finding God's plan for our life. And again, this particular passage, we see a statement that the Apostle Paul makes that kind of sets the stage, sets the tone for our our lesson. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And again, we said that Paul's conversion didn't just happen. I mean, it wasn't like it just was random. I mean, God had a purpose. God had a plan in all of this. It wasn't by chance that he was suddenly converted on the Damascus Road. Not at all. It was according to a divine purpose and a divine plan, the divine purpose and plan of God. And we ask the question, do you think then, if that's the case, that God has a plan for your life? The truth is he does, doesn't he? He has a divine plan for your life, a divine plan for my life. And it's something that we need to be very cognitive of. We need to be very aware of that truth. So many times we go through life and we just kind of live it. You know, we wake up in the morning and we prepare ourselves for the day. We make our way to work or maybe we're working in the home. It doesn't matter. But the the day somewhat becomes somewhat mundane. We just simply go through the motions. We do the same thing over and over and over again. And we forget that God has a purpose and God has a plan for our life. That everything we do has a purpose and everything we do has a plan as part of that plan if indeed we align ourselves with God and allow Him to have us completely. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, we didn't read that far, but it says, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me talking to Ananias, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I mean, he's telling Ananias here, he's saying, listen, I got a plan. I got a plan and a purpose for this man being born again. Now, you may be afraid of him and you may be concerned for your life and safety, but I'm telling you, I have a purpose and a plan for this man. I didn't save him to sit on the sideline. I saved him to serve me and to do something on my behalf. That's true in all of our lives. So God has a plan for your life. And we learned a couple of things last week. We said, without a doubt, he has a definite plan and purpose for the life of every one of his children. We said, how do we know that? Well, we said, first of all, it's, a re- it's reasonable to expect it. We said, number two, according to experience, I mean, we know that. We see that in the word of God. We see it in the lives of others around us. And number three, we said, the word of God just simply teaches it. I mean, it just shares it. It teaches it. And so we talked about those three things as we considered that. And tonight I want to touch on this thought, three characteristics of God's plan for our lives. When we think about that plan, I'm I'm actually going to deal with four of them, actually. I think I'm just going to add one. And um, I had three originally, but I think I'm just going to throw a fourth one in. But the fact is, is that there's there's some characteristics and qualities about the plan of God that I think are important. And I want to touch on just, hopefully I get to four of them tonight, okay? So let's go ahead and work on that. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll look at that this evening. Father, we come to you. We want to thank you for the privilege to be here. And Lord, it's not by chance that we're here. We thank you for that. May we listen on purpose tonight. Father, may you fill me with your spirit and allow me, Father, to be your mouthpiece this evening. I desperately need you. And I ask that, Lord, you'd enable me to be a blessing to your people. May you encourage us, and may... Every listening ear be anointed. May my tongue be anointed. And may I, Father, truly be a blessing to you and others this evening. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. As we think about some characteristics of God's plan for our life, I want to begin by saying, first of all, it's a personal plan. It's a personal plan. Again, note some things here in the passage. Look at verse 9, excuse me, verse 4 of chapter 9. It's a, it, notice the personal pronouns that are being used here in the passage. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying among him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And then in verse 6 he says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. I tell you, we, we see here that God is saying, this is a personal plan. It has to do with you and yours. It has to do with you personally, intimately. You are very unique tonight. And I know somebody, a husband or wife would say, you know that's true. I mean in a good way, unique, okay? A good way, you are very unique and you know what? There's no one quite like you in the world. Did you know that? Because, see, when you look at your life and I look at mine, we have to be really, uh, we have to realize that what we are is a compilation of what we've experienced and been through and dealt with in our lives. Things that we've read and studied and learned and taught. The folks that. Invested in our lives and others that even hurt or harmed us in our lives, we are a compilation of that. We are a byproduct of our environment, a byproduct of our the influence that we 've submitted ourselves to, a byproduct of even the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God as He works and moves in our lives and I understand that You know, modern psychologists, if not careful, will say that you can't break free, that you just have to learn to do this and that and everything else. You can't change certain, you know, things about yourself. You can only learn to deal with them. I know God can supernaturally change us. He can do what the world can't do. He can do what psychologists can't do. I get that. But I want you to know there is some reality and some truth to the fact that how you've been raised and how you've grown does affect who and what you are today. You are unique, very special. There's nobody in China just like you. There's nobody over in, in England just like you. There's nobody even on the other side of town just like you. You are unique and you are special. You are exactly what God wanted you to be in so many ways. The question is, will you allow him to make you everything he wants you to be? Very unique. And he has a very specific plan tailored just for you. And no one can really take your place. No one. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, turn there, would you please? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. I'm going to read through verse 18. For the body is not one member. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Did you answer the question in your mind? Sometimes when we read the Bible, we read right through it. But there was a question mark there. And I want you to just think about this for a moment. Let's not just simply acknowledge the word, word of God. Let's really um, try to understand it for a moment. For the body is not one member but many. It's a statement. If the foot shall say, I don't know of any foot that says that. Now we talk about my dogs are barking and stuff if your feet are hurting and I get that, but, but that's not talking, but that's barking. But, but anyway, he says, if the foot shall say, behold, I am not the hand. I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? What would your answer be? Your, your foot yells up at you and says, uh, you know, uh, because I'm not the hand, I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not of the body. You'd be like, uh, dude, yes you are. <laughs> y- you know what I mean? Okay, so we, we answered that question you a pretty smart crowd. Okay, now, verse 16. And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? No. That's impossible. No, it's still part of the body, right? See, what, what, what's he trying to get across here? In this particular passage, he's trying to help us to understand that not every part is the same, but every part is necessary. See, I guess that's what we could say, right? Simply put. In verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, (laughs) that would be an interesting look, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set members every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. Well, God's placed each and every one of us in a very unique and particular place. At least that's what he wants for us. He has a plan for your life. And may I say tonight that that plan includes and requires the local church. Now, I know there are a number of people today going around saying that the local church isn't that often important or valuable. I don't really necessarily believe in organized religion. I think you can worship God in many ways. I don't think you need the local church. And I understand that you need pastors and stuff maybe to teach and train. However, I'm not convinced that the local church is the means by which to accomplish all of that. May I say that is totally anti-God, anti-Bible. The truth is, is that the Bible talks about bodies. And may I say that we have, in a sense, there is a body of Christ. But may I say we do not function in the body of Christ necessarily the way, we do, the way we will one day. The whole body is not assembled today. And the whole body doesn't work together today necessarily the way it will one day in the future. We work in independent local churches where God says, listen, you've got to cooperate and work together. And in the long run, when I bring you all together, it will all be fine but right now you got to function and work through your local church. This idea that you don't need a church to attend, that you can watch something on television or the internet or by live stream, that is a lie right out of hell. You need a local church and so do I. And in that local church, every single member has a unique and very special, very important position. And the reason why the church suffers today in many cases is because not everybody's picking up a sword and a shield. But instead, some are sitting on the sidelines and saying, Meet my needs. Well, that's not what the church is all about. It, it's part of it, but it's a means by which we can fulfill the purpose and plan of God for our life. And it's very personal. In this particular case, he's saying, listen, you don't have to be the pastor to be important at Community Baptist Temple. You don't have to be a trustee. You don't have to be even a Sunday school teacher. You don't have to be a bus captain or in the choir. There are positions and there are places for everyone. I don't care if you clean a toilet or whether you're out knocking doors or possibly preaching a sermon. You're all needed and you're all necessary and you're all unique and you're all important. That's what he's saying. Because his plan is very, very personal, and every one of us fits somewhere in that, in, 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 or fit somewhere in the things that God died for the church, and also just in your life in general. let me tell you something i don 't care where you go i don 't care what you do in life. Do not abandon the local church. Yeah. Yeah. If you live somewhere out in uh, uh, Germany somewhere, you better find a fundamental independent Baptist church, get into it, plug into it, and let God work in that ministry and through your life to reach the world with the gospel. The fact is that we are all somewhat expendable, aren't we? I mean, this idea that without me the whole church falls apart, that's not really true either, is it? I mean, I I don't know about you, but it was just recently, just this last week, I I accidentally took a chainsaw across my fingers. So I've had them kind of bundled up lately. (laughs) That was good times. And so for a while, I've been trying not to use my fingers much, right? And do you know what? We're still going Okay. Truth is, I could have lost those fingers, and guess what? I'd still be living. I think. I hope I'd have probably been out in the yard, laying on the ground. My wife would have thought I was taking a nap. I'd probably bled to death. But, but, but that's not true. You know that's not true. But anyway, I'm just saying I could have made it. I would have lived probably if I took that off. Now I'm glad I didn't. To be honest with you. That's really glad I didn't. I mean, I'm going on vacation. I really hate to have to deal with that on vacation. But, but anyway, so, so in a sense, I mean, we, we really got to be careful that we don't get so prideful and arrogant and so self-aware uh, that we think, well, everything rises and falls on me. If I don't show up, they'll fall apart. Well, you know, come on, let's not get that way about it. Yeah, we should say, I need to be in my place. I need to fulfill my position, my so forth. But if I get the wrong attitude, I get the wrong spirit, and I'm not doing things the right way, let me tell you what, that doesn't please the Lord either. So, we need to keep a humble spirit and we need to understand that God's in this thing. It's really Him working through us. But you know what? No matter how, you know, we say that we're not, that, that, no one's, ex, you know, we're all somewhat expendable, the truth is the Bible also leaves us this sense in Scripture that each and every one of us is mission essential and unquestionably needed and necessary if the body is to truly experience optimal performance and maximum success. In March of uh, 1981, Ronald Reagan was shot by John Hinckley Jr. And he was hospitalized for several weeks. Um, Although President Reagan was the nation's chief executive officer, which, of course, we understand that, his hospitalization had little impact on the nation's activity. It really didn't. I mean, things pretty much went on. Government continued on. Government continued to function. On the other hand, can you imagine if the garbage collectors in this country went on strike? Think about that for a minute. They they all went on strike. And uh, they did that up in Philadelphia at one point years ago. Do you know that when they did that, the city was... Not only in a literal mess, but they were in a mess because the trash was simply piling up. Decaying trash became a health hazard to people. A three weeks nationwide strike literally would paralyze this country. So let me ask you something. Who's more important, the president or garbage collector? You get where I'm going with this? They may not be running the country necessarily, but then on the other hand, the president was out for about three weeks and everything just went on like normal. But boy, when that strike hit up in Philadelphia and all the garbage collectors said, we're not collecting trash. They had a health hazard on their hands. Who's more important? Who's more urgently needed? Well, that's what Paul's reminding us of in 1 Corinthians here. He's saying, you know what? You're needed. Isn't it good to be needed? Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Not only that, but number two, not only do we find that this plan is a personal plan, it's a perfect plan. Look at Romans 12:1 and 2. It's a perfect plan. Someone says, well, all I do is I usher, you know, or I uh, I just take up the offering. I mean, they didn't get anybody to do that. Yeah, well, if you don't show up, we got to try to find somebody to do it because we thought you were going to do your job. And we needed you to be there to do your job. Yeah, right. Well, you know, I just uh, greet people. I'm sure they can find anybody to say hello to folks and shake a hand. Uh, well, that's... That's where you fit in the body. You got to make sure you're where you belong. You got to be in your place. We're counting on you. You say, "Yeah, but I'm no big deal." Yeah, neither are garbage collectors, right? And yet they paralyzed the whole city. Tell you something: your your position and your job's important. You don't have to be Mr. Bigwig or Mrs. Bigwig. You just be who God made you. You be in your place and you fulfill your responsibilities and I promise you God will bless you for it. I guarantee it. Yes. Notice it's a perfect plan. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know in Bible college and well throughout my ministry I've I've heard folks speak of the perfect will of God versus the permissive will of God. Perfect versus permissive will. And it's almost like you either hit on the first try or you end up in the permissive will. That's how it kind of comes across to me. Now again, everybody has their opinion. Everybody has their ideas, I suppose. But I don't know. I kind of... It kind of bothers me a little bit. I mean, so if you married someone and got divorced, according to that philosophy, you're now in the permissive will of God. Or according to that mindset, you failed to obey the call to ministry, and so, therefore, you forfeited the perfect will and now function and operate in the permissive will. Or maybe, according to that outlook, from what I can tell, because you got involved with the wrong crowd and ended up in jail or neglected your Bible and backslid or ended up across the country and kind of found yourself in another church where you shouldn't have been... Well, you're no longer in the perfect will of God and you're just going to have to settle for the permissive will. God's going to allow you to have a part in it, but it's not the perfect will. See, so some believe that God has a perfect will and then He has another will that He permits now that we've forfeited the perfect one. I'll be frank with you. I I don't believe it. I don't go for that. See, the passage describes the will of God. And notice the description of the will of God here. And I know we're throwing the word will and plan of God around kind of together, and we understand, and I, I know you do probably, that the will of God is defined in the word of God, and the, 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 the plan of God is an individual personal thing, that, that I really can't say 100% what your plan is and what God's plan for your life is. You can't really say 100% what God's plan for my life is. I can tell you what God's will is for your life, and you can tell me what God's will for my life is. You say, that's really confusing. That's not so much. The Word of God defines the will of God. It really does. It tells us exactly what God's will for your life and mine is. But the perfect plan, the plan that He has for you, that plan specifically tailored for you, uh, that, that can vary somewhat. Now, in this passage, He's talking about the will of God, but I also think, in many cases, we talk about the plan even. And I think it kind of works both ways, with the, with the will and the plan. And in this case, he's describing the will of God, and it possesses, notice it possesses three characteristics or qualities. It says in chapter 12, verse 2, that the will of God is good, it is acceptable, and it is perfect. It's good, and it's acceptable, and it is perfect. Now, tonight, I've, I've got this, it's a weird ball, I know. This is the best a teenager could find. Leave it to the teens, right? I mean, look at this thing. Come on. I was going to say it's nice and round, but it's really not. Now it has all these little things on it. But let's assume that it didn't have these little things on it. Okay, now, as you look at this ball, let me tell you something about the ball. This ball is round. This ball is really small. It's a small ball. It's round, and it's what? Yellow. So I could say that this ball, this ball is... um, Small, it is round, and it is yellow. Now, the passage says in the book of Romans, chapter 12, it, it makes the statement here, and it's very important to note. He, he says here that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you know? I believe there's one will, according to the passage, and there's one will, and it is good and it is acceptable and perfect. It's not three different levels of will. It's one will described three ways. It's just like this little round yellow ball. And God's will, according to the passage, is good and acceptable and perfect. And so, with that said, none of us live a perfect life. Or in a perpetual state of perfection. At least not in this flesh. Now, again, I'll have some Bible scholar afterwards come to me and tell me how 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 says that we no longer sin. I get it. I got it. But then we can turn to 1 John and talk about if you say that you have no sin, then the truth's not in you. We understand that in this life, the way we live today, that we bear the burden of this flesh. And praise the Lord, one day we won't have to anymore. We'll have a new body. And I understand, on the other hand, I've got God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who looks down on me through, the, through his precious blood and says he is clean. That's true, too. But the fact is, is that in this life, where we live today, right now, none of us lives a perfect, sinless life. None of us lives in a perpetual state of perfection at least in this life, on this globe in which we live. I'm not talking about how God views me or sees me through the blood of his son. I'm talking about literally, practically speaking. So by definition now, by definition then, each and every one of us would live in a permissive will if there's a permissive and a perfect. Because there's not one of us that's perfect. Every one of us have made mistakes. Every one of us have deviated from what God wanted us to do at some point, whether it was just deviating from the particular command of God or whether it was the direction of God. So we would all be in the permissive will. None of us could continue to maintain or continue to live in a perfect will because we're not perfect if that's the defining factor. Fortunately, and I mentioned this last time we got together. Fortunately, God forgives our past. I'm glad for that. And not only that, but he reminds us that there is no guarantee of tomorrow. So when I trust Christ and in my life, all my sin literally has been washed away. But I don't, I'm just saying it's all gone. Everything from today back, it's dealt with. It's, I can't do anything about my past now. I can't do one thing about my past, not one except try to do my best not to repeat or make the same mistakes. Oh, I can confess it and must. I can repent of it and should. But after that, I can't continue to look back and try to fix something that's been broken. It's the way it is. I have to learn to live that way, not this way. I can't focus there. I've got to focus out front, forgetting those things which are behind, right? Pressing forward. God forgives our past and hopefully if you've sinned you've confessed it and you have have it dealt with but he also tells us he doesn't guarantee us tomorrow so what that means then is all we have then is what? today It's all we've got you have today what will you do with today? what will I do with today? that's the real question Will you obey God today? Will you allow what he wants for your life to be what you want for your life today? Because, see, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You say, well, tomorrow, nope, doesn't matter. All that matters is today. Well, in the past, doesn't matter about the past because you don't live in the past, you live today. Let me tell you something, I believe with all my heart, I, I believe with all my heart that I can be in the literal, I, it doesn't matter what I've done in the past, doesn't matter what I've thought in the past, doesn't matter where I've been in the past, the truth is, today, right now, I can be in that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because I'm, guarant- I'm not guaranteed tomorrow, so all I have is today, and I can't do anything about the past, I just have today, that's it. I believe God says, my good Acceptable and perfect wills available to you today. Will you allow yourself to walk in it, live in it, bask in it? See, wonderful thing about God's plan, a couple of things we talked about tonight already, it's personal and it's perfect. And we'll talk a little bit more about this when we get together the next time. How are you doing with the plan of God in your life? If you could evaluate, if you would evaluate your life right now, would you say and could you say with all confidence, I know without a, fact, without a doubt, I'm in the plan of God. I am doing exactly what God would have me to do in my life. I know I'm right where I need to be. I'm everything God would want me to be right now, the best I know how. I'm telling you, if we would ask those kind of questions, it would cause us to truly, uh, I think, reconsider sometimes, wouldn't it? And God help us to, to really evaluate our lives and ask ourselves, am I right where God wants me today? Well, I was there a year ago. I remember it was the best time of my... It doesn't matter about a year ago. It's too late. You, you're past that. What about today? What about today? May God help us. The will and the plan of God. What a wonderful thing it is. Let's make sure we're in it. And only by being in it and we truly enjoy the very blessings that God has for us. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. Bless us.